Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night as I'm recording this, uh, following another scary injury. Following another potentially debilitating injury for a team uh, in these playoffs. So we're going to talk about how just, just how much injuries suck in the first segment, along with uh, just going over the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals. Um, we're going to talk about a variety of things, but the bulk of this podcast in segments two and three is going to be about Michael Malone and Tim Connolly, uh, the head coach of the Nuggets, pre- president of basketball operations for the Denver Nuggets, uh, both members of the Nuggets conglomerate, uh, Connolly since the 13-14 season and Malone since 15-16. Uh, both of those guys have been around for a long time and have are they're just as much ingrained into the identity of this nuggets group and uh i th- i think that they sh- like i should do an evaluation on them i am obviously less qualified to do so because uh, there's just so much that i don't know there's so much that uh the general public doesn't know i think i'm privy to a couple of extra details that the public doesn't know but uh those guys are and and just the general nba calculus as a whole is just so separated from the public eye that it's almost disingenuous to do a a full-scale evaluation. But I'm going to try, and I'm going to try to be fair, and I'm going to try to be honest while also understanding. So we're going to do that segments two and three. But first, let's talk about what's been going on in these playoffs so far. It has been a bloodbath. Uh, just, Just to let everybody know, how much injuries suck. Here are the teams in the playoffs that have been affected by the the injuries significantly. The Bucs tonight, potentially losing Giannis Antetokounmpo for the rest of the playoffs, depending on how things go, depending on what happens. He just just goes up and hyperextends his knee on a rebound. Uh, We will see what that ultimately comes out to. Don't know what the, the ultimate results are, but it sucks. And before him, as I mentioned in the last podcast, Trey Young steps on an official. Steps on an official out of ba- like standing out of bounds, rolls his ankle, awful stuff. Kawhi Leonard, we're I'm I'm still not fully sure what the what the ACL injury is, but it sounds like it's a it's a grade one ACL sprain, which is less dangerous than a full ACL tear, of course. Uh it's just it's very ambiguous, and it's held him out for a long time, and the Clippers are affected by it. The Nuggets, as everybody knows, affected by Jamal Murray leaving, or losing due to an ACL tear himself. Uh, Will Barton was out for a lot of the playoffs and only got back into the starting lineup in Game 4. And then P.J. Dozier never played. He's not a star, but like he's impactful. And it was just the combination of all of those injuries that made it so impactful. The Lakers lost Anthony Davis in the playoffs. The Sixers had Joel Embiid tear his partially tear his meniscus, excuse me. And when you have a meniscus tear or partial tear for a player like Joel who has had knee and foot and a whole bunch of lower body injuries before, it's pretty scary. And they lost in part because he got tired out in the second half of games. Because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of strain on the knees to play basketball at that size. Shocker. The Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, the what many people thought were the preeminent favorites, lost James Harden and Kyrie Irving at various points in the playoffs. Harden was clearly banged up when he returned. Kyrie wasn't able to continue after rolling his ankle on Giannis. The only team that has mostly been unscathed, and their fans will definitely tell you so, has been the Phoenix Suns. But they will definitely tell you that injuries happen to everybody. Look at the bad luck that we've had in our past. I don't think anybody's ever, like, actually saying that the Suns don't deserve it because everybody else is injured. Like, nobody's actually saying that. But you could make the same argument that a whole bunch of teams and their franchise histories deserve to win the title like you could make that case for 15 teams because that's 
basically the number of teams that haven't won a title before. Given how dominated the sport has been by like four or five markets. But even the Suns have had their injuries too. They had CP3's shoulder scare in the first round that he was clearly better for in the in the second round of the playoffs against Denver. He also sat out a couple games due to COVID at the beginning of the, the West Finals. Uh, that didn't affect the Suns in any way, shape, or form, but it did affect them when he came back. Uh, and then Booker's broken nose that he's playing through right now. Uh, it looks pretty bad. He's playing with a mask, and uh, he's clearly being affected by it. The playoffs have been defined by injuries. Whoever survives at the end, much like the bubble, it, it's not going to be an asterisk or anything like that because whoever does survive should get the credit for being able to do so in such a difficult season. It's And you, you can only really play who's in front of you. So it's it's not whoever whoever's fault it's going to be, whether it's the Suns, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's the Hawks, whether it's the Clippers. Whoever wins the championship, they will have earned it because they can only play who's in front of them. But if everyone on all of the teams was healthy heading into the playoffs, we may or may not have seen the same results. Like, maybe the Bucks still survive. Maybe they still get through the Nets despite if they have all three of their superstars. I doubt it, but maybe they do. Maybe the Sixers were meant to combust against the Hawks, who were a better team than the New York Knicks by far. Maybe the the Wizard or yeah, maybe the Sixers were just meant to combust because uh, nobody, no injury prevented Ben Simmons from being a complete shell of himself by the end of that series. And on the West, there's a very strong possibility that the Phoenix Suns could have won a series against the fully healthy Lakers. There's also a strong possibility that they wouldn't, given that the Lakers were up 2-1 to one in their series, and Anthony Davis got injured in Game 4. So the Suns won three straight. And the Nuggets, the team that was most debilitated by all of this, going without Jamal Murray entering the playoffs, had they had their superstar duo, they might be playing deep still. And Nuggets fans, as we've all been... Quick to remind everybody that there was a period in time where I thought that the Nuggets could have won it all. It just sucks to not know for sure who the best team was this year. Because I don't think it was the Suns. I don't think it was the Clippers. I don't think it was the Bucks. Maybe it was. Maybe had every team been healthy and... Maybe that's just just a part of the game, given that injuries are a part of the game. Maybe being the healthiest and being healthy at the right time is just a part of things. Just doesn't feel great. You want to see teams be able to give their A-plus effort, their best punch at the right time. And I just don't see a lot of teams being able to give their best punch because of the season that we've had. Because it's been a debilitating experience. 72 games, backed up between two playoff runs here, uh, sandwiched in between. And it's been uh, condensed. And with the pandemic and going through all of these uh, protocols and whether or not to get the vaccine and things like that. So for anybody that is still pissed off that Nikola Jokic is resting and doesn't want to play for the national team for Serbia, I'm sorry. I think he's just worn down. And given that all of these players, every single one pretty much, has had a major injury, all of these all-stars, I'm just happy that Jokic got out of there healthy, and I hope that he can stay that way. I think that putting more basketball on his plate six weeks after four weeks after whatever, uh, after finishing up, would have been bad. But it is what it is. Let's move to Bucks, Hawks, and then Clippers, Suns really quick. I just want to give my quick thoughts here. Uh, Trey turns his ankle in game three. The Bucks go up 2-1. It feels like they're in control of the series. And lo and behold, even before Giannis violently hyperextended his knee, even before that, 
the Hawks were leading comfortably in Game 4. The Bucks go through these serious droughts of not making good shots, of not making jumpers. Uh, Matt Moore at HP Basketball on Twitter, good friend of the program, has been looking at the Bucks' expected shot quality based off of the shots that they've been getting and is just pulling his hair out. Or, well, uh, I mean, never mind. Uh, just because they have been underperforming so badly and they are so consistently an underperforming team despite getting good looks, it's tough. But that's just kind of who they are at this point. The series is now tied 2-2, and I have no idea how it plays out, because maybe Trey Young comes back. But maybe he doesn't. And I just think that the Hawks played over their head in Game 4. I think it's very possible. Like, Lou Williams made like 21 points. He had 21 points on like 9 shots. Like, that's not happening again. So maybe Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can step up. Maybe they can. Maybe they can really put this series away by themselves. But will they is the big question. Because I think it's possible that they fade here. It's very possible. Will Trey Young or Giannis return? Can they tip the scales in either direction of a 2-2 series? Trey, I think it's very possible that he returns. Giannis, I don't know. We'll see what the imaging says. Uh, the MRI, uh, Malika Andrews reported that he would be getting an MRI at some point soon here. We'll see what happens. We'll see what it looks like. Uh, I think Farbad S. Nashari, uh, who covers the Clippers for Sports Illustrated, he reported that the fear was that he was torn his ACL. Uh However serious you want to take that report, I don't know, but because it just hasn't come from like Woj or Shams or anybody else connected to the team. But if it is a torn ACL, that sucks. That really sucks. It would completely change the complexion of the playoffs yet again. So we'll see. On the other side, Suns Clippers. Suns were up 3-1 before the Clippers won Game 5 by double digits on Monday night. That was pretty interesting. Paul George was incredible at that one. Marcus Morris turned into Nikola Jokic from the perimeter and was just firing away. It was impressive. Uh, It's very clear that Chris Paul on the Suns just wants this so badly, but he has not performed well since returning from Game 3, for Game 3. He missed the first two games of the series with a COVID protocol absence. But the Suns are 1-2 and two in his games since he got back, and he hasn't performed well. So we'll see what he does. See what he has in store in games 6 and 7. If he were to choke, and if the Suns were to choke, it would be objectively hilarious. It would just be very funny, given everything that has happened over the course of these playoffs and how debilitating it has been for some teams. I don't know if the Clippers have two more wins than them, but maybe they do. I kind of hope so. I'm kind of rooting for the Clippers here because the Suns fans, they just gloated and clowned the Nuggets after that sweep. Suns and four guy and, and the victim of that did not do us any favors, of course. But the fact that while CP3 was hitting every single tough shot in that series, they just looked incredible. They just looked unbeatable. Denver didn't have an answer. They probably wouldn't have had an answer if CP3 was hitting half those shots, to be frank. But uh, the Suns are clearly figuring out that this is what happens when CP3 misses the tough shots that he's making at an entirely impossible rate. For the majority of the playoffs. Or at least for the for the Nuggets series. The Lakers series, he wasn't great. He was also hurt. This series, he's not hurt. He's just been bad. He's just been missing open shots. So maybe the Suns win game six. Maybe they put this all at ease. But if they don't, if the Clippers take it to a game seven, good lord. Another 3-1 comeback in the works, that would be incredible. 
I would, I would, <laughs> I would melt. It would be so funny. Ugh, let's root for that, Nuggets fans. That is by far the best outcome. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to get into these player eval or not player evaluations. We've got the coach and the president of basketball operations evaluations for these next two segments. We'll be right back. But first, this podcast, of course, is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's my favorite sportsbook. Haven't been doing well lately, but it was mostly because of the injuries. If I, if they hadn't had the injuries lately, then I would be in the big plus money for sure, uh, having bet on Trey in Game 3 and Giannis in Game 4 in uh, back-to-back outings. But all that being said, those deals that I got on those bets were incredible. And DraftKings, they consistently do these great odds boosts where you have an opportunity to get these great uh, improved odds. This last time around, it was Giannis to get a double-double. And it was at like minus 560 before. They boosted it to plus 100. So basically double your money at that point. Now, he lost that because he went out in the third quarter, in the early third quarter, and didn't get an opportunity to complete that double-double this time around. But most of the time, DraftKings, they're trying to get you some great odds. They're trying to get you to buy in. And most of those are really, really good. This one was just bad luck. Uh, So make sure that if you're getting involved, DraftKings, they will take care of you. They'll absolutely do so for basketball, baseball. Uh, Jermaine Marquez just nearly had a no-hitter for the Rockies earlier tonight. That was very cool. Uh, Hockey, golf, Travelers Championship in golf, that was fun to watch. Uh, There are so many opportunities out there to do DraftKings betting and even the UEFA World Cup or Euro Cup, excuse me. Lots of great opportunities and you can do it all at DraftKings. So, Make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up to use DraftKings. Um, They are safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. All you have to do is use promo code MHS. Let them know that you came from us. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Back, pickaxe, and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, before we get to it, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars, Apple Podcasts. That would be so cool. Uh, nearly at a hundred. Nearly at a hundred review or ratings on Apple Podcasts, and those go a long way. So if I if I get over a hundred, I think there's a there's something special that I get. So it would be great. It would mean the world if you could boost me up over that threshold. That would be awesome. Okay. Let's talk about Tim Connolly first. Nuggets president of basketball operations. He has been around and doing great things for the Nuggets for a long time. Some of his best moves, drafting Nikola Jokic at 41 overall in 2014. He'll tell you that it's luck and maybe there's a degree of luck in there, but look, he had to, they had to do the scouting as a team. He had to pull the trigger. It was a great idea and it Change the Nuggets franchise fortunes around, clearly. Jamal Murray at number seven in 2016. Signing Paul Millsap in 2017 really helped kind of change this Nuggets organization from uh, a kid franchise to, hey, we're going to be adults now. Uh, Because they had so many young prospects, so many players that were just so young and inexperienced in the league. And Paul Millsap gave them the pathway to become veterans and to become like just just adults in this league and understand how it goes. And he helped stabilize their defense considerably. And then 2018, drafting Michael Porter Jr., taking a chance on him. That has clearly worked out in Denver's favor. There was nobody below him that they could have taken that would have made a massive difference, except for maybe Kevin Herter, I guess. But like, I'd rather have Michael Porter Jr. Like I think everybody would. So, like if you offer, if you offer the Atlanta Hawks Michael Porter Jr. for Kevin Herter, they'll take that deal in a second. 
So let's move to this season. Let's talk about what happened for Tim Connolly in the last basically calendar year. Basically, when the bubble wrapped up, and this isn't like fully calendar. So when the bubble wrapped up, Denver, they had just come off the Western Conference Finals bid, done a great job, thought they were going to re-sign Jeremy Grant, uh, but they go into the draft in 2020. They select Zeke Naji at 22, and then they acquire RJ Hampton at 24 uh, using a 2023 first round pick. Both of those moves, great. They're, they're right in line with what Denver does. I think there are a couple of players that they could have gone after that would have changed their fortunes a little bit, like maybe Xavier Tillman, uh, with the, who went to Memphis. Uh, maybe uh, like Tyrese Maxey went one pick earlier. Maybe that changes things a little bit for them. Maybe Desmond Bain, who also went to Memphis. But overall, I don't think there's any reason to overthink that. Uh, Zeke Naji, RJ Hampton, they both proved to be great and valuable prospects. And so don't want to overthink it. Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee walk away. They both go to Detroit. They both sign big contracts there. Combined like $85 million over the course of the next three years. The Jeremy Grant one was a big blow for Denver. They thought that they had him. They had to pivot to a different direction. Uh, it was a pretty tough move because it really blindsided what Denver thought they were going to be doing. Sort of changed things around completely. Uh, they re-signed Paul Millsap to a one-year deal, kind of a stopgap move to stop the bleeding. And they also signed Jamichael Green to a big contract. Uh, not big, but like just most of the MLE, which was really all that they had as flexibility. And then they signed Isaiah Hartenstein to a basically a two-year minimum deal. Faku Kampaza was brought over from Europe. He took the biannual exception, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was an interesting move at the time because Denver had Murray, Morris, and Capazzo. And ultimately, it sort of changed things around that like, it, it, was the right, it was the right call in retrospect because of the injuries that Denver faced in their backcourt. But at the time, I'm not sure it was the right call. The next decision they made that was, I think, a little bit questionable at the time, but a lot of people were excited about it, uh, they signed Bull Bull. And I think a lot of people had a lot of takes about it. Denver decided to go away from Tory Craig and instead bring back Bull and just convert him from a two-way contract to a full two-year deal based off of what he showed in the bubble. And... That definitely didn't work in retrospect. Let's be clear. I think there were other reasons why they didn't bring back Torrey Craig, just so the uh, Michael Porter had a full opportunity to grow and not be blocked from the rotation and from big developmental minutes. But uh, the bull bull for Torrey Craig move specifically has clearly not worked. Just just been bad. They signed Marcus Howard and Greg Whittington to two-way deals. Uh, Marcus Howard didn't really contribute until the end of the season, but he contributed in a big and positive way. Helped Denver win a playoff series. I think that was pretty clear. Uh, Greg Whittington, not with the team anymore. He was replaced by Shaq Harrison. Was never really able to get on the floor. Uh, had an, an injury at the outset and uh, just never was really able to recover. And one thing that people forget, uh, right before the beginning of the season, uh, the Nuggets agreed to an extension with Monte Morris, a three-year, $27 million extension. And based off of where they are right now, where Denver is, that was a really good move. Had they gone into this offseason with Monte Morris and potentially Will Barton also leaving, that would be really, really bad given Murray's injury. Now they have Morris signed and locked in. He'll be the starting point guard next year while Murray recovers. And I think that that's a, that's a good move, a very, very strong move in retrospect, especially for the affordability of it. And it just gives Denver that flexibility 
that it's a mid-sized contract, but it is not a debilitating contract in any way. In-season moves that Tim Connolly made. He traded Isaiah Hartenstein and two second-rounders for JaVale McGee. He traded Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a 2025 first-rounder for Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark. Clark was later waived. Uh, He signed Shaq Harrison and waived Greg Whittington, as I mentioned, and then he signed Austin Rivers in the wake of the Jamal Murray injury. I think all of those moves were sound in their uh, approach. I think most of them worked out in the execution as well. Uh, Trading Hartenstein and two second rounders for JaVale McGee, it will be nitpicked, uh, and I could certainly be doing the nitpicking in this. But had Denver experienced injuries to Aaron Gordon, Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green, Nikola Jokic, then JaVale McGee would have played. He would have played a lot more. Uh, At this point, all the guards got injured. And so it looks weird to like acquire JaVale McGee and not play him in retrospect. But let's say that Denver experienced all those injuries to their front court rotation, then JaVale McGee would have been very valuable and having him would have been a lot more valuable than what he ended up being. The Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, 25, or 2025 first rounder for Aaron Gordon trade. That is going to have to be relitigated going forward. It's really tough that uh, Jamal Murray got injured right at that time because Denver brought in Aaron Gordon with the prospect of him being like a fourth or fifth option for these two playoff runs before his contract is up. And he was the third option this time around because Murray got injured. Not blaming Murray. Like, it's just it just an ugly thing, a terrible, awful thing that happened. And then we don't know what's going to happen for the next playoff run as well because I think Murray's going to need some time to get back and get healthy and recover. However, had Murray stayed healthy, Barton was there, Morris was there, Dozier was there, Composo was there. Gordon was the big wing defender that Denver never needed, but absolutely would have had they faced a different team other than the Suns. Had they faced the Clippers and needed somebody to guard Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, Aaron Gordon's much more geared to do so than he is to guard Devin Booker or Damian Lillard or Chris Paul, CJ McCollum, guys like that. It's a much better fit. And so we didn't actually get to see that. We didn't actually get to see him prove it against a physical forward at the next stage. And then on the offensive end, like when you don't have your star point guard, his spacing was very cramped. He ultimately ran out of gas. It was just tough. I don't know if you can blame Tim Connolly on that. Like, we're going to need next season to figure it out. RJ Hampton turning into a star would be tough for Denver because he would fit great next to Murray Porter Jokic. Uh, But that's just not a luxury that Denver had. Signing Shaq Harrison, good move. Got Denver a couple wins here or there with the defensive pressure. Uh, Signing Austin Rivers, very good move. Turned out to be an excellent move. Helped Denver get through that first round and put them in a position where they could have had a chance in the second round had things gone a little bit better. Um, It just never really manifested, but it was a good move. So, nitpicking here. Here's here's what's here's what Connolly really did. He replaced Jeremy Grant with Aaron Gordon as a complementary piece to Denver's uh, developing big three. Jokic, Murray, Porter. They need that other three point five. That's somebody who can defend wings, but also switch, but also rebound, but also do some creation. Aaron Gordon was that guy, and he never really got to show it. After Murray went down. I still believe in that. I still believe that's what Denver needs. Very few NBA players can do what Aaron Gordon was about to do. That are also available. You could point to guys like OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, 
uh, Mikhail Bridges, like guys, guys like that who are bigger wings that can defend those big wings and do a reasonable job. Like Denver just didn't have those guys available to them. They're very few available. Aaron Gordon was one of them. And that's why I signed off on the trade when I did. That's why Tim Connolly signed off on the trade when he did. I think he was right to do so. And we're going to see, we're going to see what happens there, but that's how I feel. In that same move, he also got off of Gary Harris's contract, which Gary's contract would have been 21 million this next year. And Denver has better options at the shooting guard position. Whether they bring back Barton, whether they go with uh, PJ Dozier, even like Austin Rivers. Like they have other ways to really figure that out. They needed somebody who could help their defense and Harris was going to help the defense, but not in an impactful way that I think Gordon could do at the highest levels a bit more. They could have used Gary Harris's defense against the Suns and against the Blazers, but those are just the matchups. And I think that those matchups are going to be lesser going forward. But ultimately, Tim Connolly, he found the players necessary to surround Jokic and Murray, put MPJ in a great position to succeed. Think about the roster that they've assembled that they could potentially have for next season. You've got Jokic, you've got Murray, you've got Porter. You've got Aaron Gordon, you've got Will Barton if he comes back, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, Jermichael Green, Zeke Naji, Faku Campazo, JaVale McGee. That's a total of 11 guys that Denver could certainly build a nine, eight-man rotation out of in the playoffs that would be super impactful. They'd have a lot of opportunities and a lot of ways to win a title. So because of that, I'm going to give Tim Connolly's season grade an A-. I thought he did his job well enough to put together an affordable contender. Things sort of fell through after the Murray injury. Nobody can really game plan for that, especially a team like Denver that had really surrounded the Jokic-Murray two-man actions. That's just kind of how their offense was geared up, how their roster was geared up. So take away one of those aspects, especially like Jokic would have been even more debilitating, but Murray being out, it was a big deal, especially in the playoffs. Denver's going to be in a tough situation. They're going to be tested. Tim Connolly is going to be tested especially without the pick flexibility that he has going forward. Doesn't have a 2023 first. Doesn't have a 2025 first. Used several second round picks in order to acquire players, clear salary, trade into the first and second rounds. So it's going to be interesting to see what Denver does at the draft, at free agency, whether they make a trade to try to recoup some assets here or there whether they can keep building around Jokic, Murray, and Porter. How they continue to build around Jokic, Murray, and Porter when Porter, though he's doing max, is flawed, and Murray, though he's great, is currently injured. It's going to be fascinating, but I think that Tim Connolly put together a championship contender, so it's hard to blame him for how things went. Like, Even when Murray went down, he pivoted really well by going and getting Austin Rivers, by vetting him, making sure that he knew the kind of culture he needed to provide. And they were able to do it. So it's hard to blame anybody here. Uh, I'm certainly not going to blame Tim. Despite the fact that I think if, if I were to nitpick, not knowing about the Jeremy Grant departure, Until it happened and being blindsided like that, not being able to get somebody in before that, that might have hurt Denver and they didn't actually get to see an optimized version of themselves until later in the season and then Murray got hurt. They only really got to see four or five games of themselves. The rest of it, just kind of mystery. So we'll see if they can put it back together. We'll see what it looks like when Murray gets back healthy. What? Tim Connolly decides to do over this offseason, but for now, I think he did a great job. We'll talk about him more in the third segment. When we come back, we're going to focus in more on Michael Malone. 
talk about what he did, some of the choices, uh, what we think or what I think he struggled with, in my opinion. Uh, We'll be right back. Ira back, pickaxe and roll, final segment here. Let's talk about Michael Malone. Um, So he basically said at the beginning of the year that the goal of this season was to win a title. Denver, they've sort of graduated from the we don't skip steps mantra, or maybe they just think that the next step is to win a title. And I think that was true. I think that was a true and honest belief when they entered the year. I think they were hit pretty hard by certain realities about their roster, about who they wanted to be. But I also think that they pivoted well. Michael Malone pivoted well, too. He was able to coax out some pretty good stuff from his roster. Uh, Despite the fact that they didn't win a title, I thought that Malone's job that he did this well, or this year, was pretty solid. And it was a really difficult job, given what Denver had to go through, given how they had to approach it. Here are some of the positive ways that Michael Malone impacted the Nuggets this year. On a leadoff with MPJ, it takes a special kind of relationship, a special kind of coach and person to be able to deal with the growth curve that needed to happen for Michael Porter. Given where he started and given where he's probably going to go, the Nuggets needed to be able to survive the goose, uh, the the bumps in the road, the ups and downs, if you will. Michael Porter's 23rd birthday was today. He played this entire past season at 22. Played in the bubble when he was at 22. He's done a lot and had a lot happen to him while he's 22 years old. His growth curve, and I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to post an article tomorrow on Stiffs, Wednesday. His growth curve from the bubble and from where he was to where he is now, what the Nuggets have learned about him, what he's learned about himself, being in the x-ray room of the NBA uh, kind of spotlight. I don't think there's a younger player that's been x-rayed more than Michael Porter. There's at least a good argument for it, given how high profile he is, given how polarizing he is, given how talented he is. Michael Malone had to had to navigate that. He tried starting him at the very beginning of the year. Porter got COVID, was out for a while. Malone had to survive that. When he came back, he came off the bench. Denver had to figure out how to assimilate him back into the starting group. It was made easier by the fact that Gary Harris never was able to get healthy. But Denver was able to get back to a Murray, Porter, Barton, Millsap, Jokic group. And they were fine. Mostly bad. Not bad, but like mostly average during that time. And a lot of it was because Porter didn't really fit. Not with that group at that point. A lot of it was also Millsap, a lot of it was also Jokic, and and those three in particular not being able to figure out how to defend together, despite, like, there's some decent IQ there, but the effort wasn't perfect, and the execution wasn't good. Not enough athleticism, not enough, not athleticism, but, like, not enough quickness and recovery ability from those three. So they had to figure it out. Michael Malone had to figure it out. And ultimately... Denver decided to go small. Injuries kind of led to it. But ultimately, Denver approached the the All-Star break with a starting lineup of Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, who got back out of his schneid, by the way, coaxed by Michael Malone in a lot of different ways and just, just was awesome, rock solid. Will Barton at the three, Michael Porter at the four, and Jokic. And Michael Porter at the four was really working. It wasn't perfect defensively, and he had a lot of responsibilities there that just weren't great. But him, Murray, and Jokic 
were playing at such a high level entering that All-Star break. And then coming out of the All-Star break, Porter does a lot of great things himself. Continues to prove that he deserves a lot of the credit that he's been given. And Malone helped put him in that position. Because if you remember, back in early February, Michael Porter was not in a great space. He was absolutely at his lowest point. And it would have been easy for a coach to just put him back on the bench, help him work through some of those things as like a sixth or seventh man. But Michael Malone helped stuck with, stick with him, helped coax a lot of the talent out of him, and he proved to be one of the most valuable players in the NBA in his second season. He had like the 35th best season in the NBA as a second-year player, was coming off of back surgeries, missed his first full professional year, and was just basically a bench reserve all last season. This past year, he turned into a starter, turned into a max caliber player. That is some serious development, and Michael Malone deserves some credit for that. However much you want to give to him, I don't know, but he deserves some credit. I'm going to give it to him here. Nikola Jokic becoming an MVP. That doesn't happen unless the Nuggets are winning. That doesn't happen unless Michael Malone is helping him be in good situations. Their relationship has really grown. It's not just Jokic. A lot of it is, not a lot, but like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to parse this. This is one of the problems with doing an evaluation is that I can't give you a percentage value of how much Michael Malone impacted Nikola Jokic. I can only guess. But their relationship is so damn good that they're having beers after a sweep, along with Josh Kroenke, the owner, the president. So, like, it's hard to parse. But between changing the starting lineup to fit the team's needs, finding bench units that work, helping survive without Jamal Murray, finding different combinations that could do that, and ultimately winning a playoff series... With it, without three important rotation players, including his star point guard, Michael Malone deserves a lot of credit for that. A lot of credit. There are things that I can nitpick, and I'll do them here. The backup big man rotation was kind of a mess. It started out as Isaiah Hartenstein. Denver never really trusted him. Sometimes they went to Jermichael Green at center. Sometimes they played Hartenstein. Some of it worked. Some of it didn't. Uh, Denver had some opportunities to be able to do some creative things, but they ultimately just decided once the Aaron Gordon trade was made that even though JaVale McGee was there, they decided that it was easier to play the vets, uh, to play Jamichael Green, Paul Millsap, those guys who Michael Malone trusted. And I thought that Zeke Naji could have played more. I thought that JaVale McGee probably should have played more. And it was also becoming clear that Paul Millsap was struggling as a power forward at a very early time. Changing the starting lineup earlier might have been a better thing. Maybe not. Maybe that wasn't really viable. But there are just some things that I think, in the regular season-wise, that Michael Malone could have helped coax along just a little bit better. There's also a fairly heavy over-reliance on Nikola Jokic especially offensively, it really became apparent that this was the case when Porter was out and the Nuggets starters were reverting back to the the group that had started a long time. Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap, Jokic. It became clear that all of those guys, even Murray to some extent, were fairly uh, dependent on Jokic to create them shots. Not as much Murray but like Harris, Barton, Millsap, it was becoming pretty clear. Now, they were able to kind of make it work, and as they sort of changed up the rotations a little bit, changed up the starting lineup, they found some players that fit a little bit better together, that accentuated strengths a little bit better. But that over-reliance on what was familiar, on what was working before, I think it may have cost Denver some wins. Getting swept 4-0 by the Suns? Also not great. Michael Malone said, that's on me. 
that it's on me that we shouldn't have been swept um, in the post-game presser that he did this past week. Now, to be clear, I think Denver was losing that series because they were running out of gas and because, like, Jokic couldn't do it all by himself and Porter just wasn't ready at that level to be the on-ball creator he needs to be at some point. But not being able to come up with any solutions, I think that's kind of a bad look, despite the injuries. Like, getting a game would have been a big deal. So, overall, I think that Michael Malone deserves a B plus. It's not quite an A-. minus. Like, I think that there are some things that I'd nitpick a little bit more. But if you're giving him anything less than a B, I think you're crazy. I honestly do. Because of all the bumps in the road that the Nuggets had throughout the season, they're one of the teams that I think you can say unequivocally that they handle that resilient they they handle those bumps better than almost any team in the NBA. They're resilient, they bounce back, they know who they are, and they're defined by Michael Malone in a lot of those ways. The Murray injury obviously derailed things. They were going to be something great. That is my full on honest opinion. But had they like it's it doesn't fully excuse everything, but like it does excuse a lot of stuff. It was just such a debilitating injury that given that Denver had ass- assimilated the roster that they had, the depth chart, the uh the rotations that they were figuring out, the five-man starting lineup that they had. Malone was forced to pivot almost immediately, and to his credit, he did. They were able to figure it out with Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers as the starting backcourt. It's a pretty big deal. It didn't end up working. Not at, not at the highest level. But Malone got them through. I think that's that certainly counts for something. So, what's next for both Connolly and Malone? Malone is under contract for another two years through 2022-2023. Uh, they won't leave Michael Malone in a lame duck year, in my opinion. But, what that means basically is that, despite the fact that it says that he's got two years left, he really has one year left, because if they're not leaving him in a lame duck year then they will decide what to do after this coming season. And that's pretty scary if you're the Nuggets, if you're Malone, that whether Murray comes back healthy or not, he's still going to have some pretty high expectations. I think the Nuggets have done a good job of properly calibrating things, that when major injuries happen and things like this, they don't overreact. But they're going to want to win a title. And I think that If Michael Malone wants to keep his job, the best thing he can do for himself is to help grow and foster the relationship between Jokic and Porter, and to help Porter continue to become self-sufficient, but also a team player, somebody who gets others involved in the offense, is a creator off the dribble for himself and others. That'll be the best thing that they can do. And then like developing Zeke Naji and P.J. Dozier, guys like that, bringing them along. Those guys could help the defense. Michael Malone needs that. Tim Connolly's contract situation, that is unknown to me. Uh, He got a contract extension, I think, back in February of 2019 or something akin to that. And I'm not sure when and if he'll get a new contract extension, but I think he's with Denver for the long haul. Like, it would really surprise me, given... Washington and and uh, yeah, Washington's job being filled. A lot of other places have had their jobs filled. I just think that Connolly, like his his imprint is all over this Nuggets organization. Handprints, fingerprints, that's what I mean. Um so it would be weird if he just up and left. Like I want to see if he can see this through. I want him to make the final moves. Taking this team from where they were at the doldrums of the standings 
of like the the franchise rankings that you would want going forward to being a champion, to being a finals contender. That'd be really cool. But we'll see what actually happens. I'm interested to see whether they can continue to keep Connolly and Malone together. Uh, both of those guys have they're, they're just a part of this team. As much as Jokic is a part of this team, as much as Murray is a part of this team, they're a part of it in different ways, but very impactful ways as well. And I'm glad to see that most Nuggets fans, they support those guys a lot. They know how much those guys mean to Denver. Uh, Connolly's ability to sort of pivot, to develop, or to bring in incredible young talent, uh, find the diamonds in the rough. He'll need to do that again this year. And Michael Malone's ability to put it all together, to get people pointed in the same direction. If he can continue doing that, Denver's going to win a title at some point. It's going to happen. I really do believe it. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Should be having a guest on on Friday. Uh, should We're going to try to do uh, more of a fun day on Friday done a lot of these serious player evaluations and things like that and i think it's time to just have some fun take a breath during this offseason and really just kick back lay back during this time thank you so much everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you guys very soon